Jesus and tonight he begins to break the seals and, and that officially begins the tribulation uh, period. And so we've seen the beauty of what is happening in heaven and then now we're going to see where because of man's rebellion and disobedience to God that the earth becomes a literal uh, hell. So chapter 6 is a record chapter 6 and 7 a record of Jesus breaking the first six seals of the seven seals of the scroll that was handed to him the title deed to planet earth uh, through his death his burial his resurrection he redeemed not only us but he redeemed the field that the treasure was found in the earth and uh, has undone the forfeiting of the dominion of the earth that Adam and Eve forfeited in the Garden of Eden to the devil. He purchased this world 2,000 years ago and now here in chapter 6 verse 1 he proceeds to take possession of what it is that he has purchased which means he's got to evict the unruly tenants and uh, here's the landlord coming back. The tenants have not given him his due. They have not given him his rent. They have trashed uh, his apartment or his duplex or his house. And uh, now he's going to come back to uh, evict them. When the Lord gave man uh, dominion over the earth, it wasn't in, in order that we would destroy you know, the, the earth, destroy the apartment, so to speak, and, uh, and, and, so, uh, and to use it for uh, other purposes than what God had given us, to us to use. And, and so now he's going to come and take it back. Now as we read chapter 6 and 7 and then uh, really on further into the book of, of Revelation, we're going to read about the judgment that God is forced to uh, meet out in order to end man's rebellion against him, in, in order that we would know how history ends. And how human history ends is with uh, God winning and Jesus coming in his second coming and, and establishing a thousand years of, of a perfect righteous reign on the earth and then all of that one day giving way to eternity, a new heaven and a new earth. And so all of this revelation speak to, speaks to us about the path that leads us to that that ultimate end notice in chapter 6 verse 1 now I saw John declares when the lamb Jesus opened one of the seals so he breaks the first of the seven seals that is on this scroll and holding it closed and I heard one of the four living creatures one of the angelic beings saying with a voice like thunder I mean loud ooh, whoa and uh, and the voice spoke to John and said come and see and he I looked John declared and behold a white horse and he who sat uh, on that white horse had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer and so Jesus breaks that first seal and we hear uh, the angel inviting John to come and see the, what that first seal being broken produces and John records what it is that he sees this man on a white horse and the things that he has now we know who this cannot be uh, sometimes you know when you're raised 
in uh, uh, America, at least in the 50s and the 60s and that kind of thing. Uh, the good guys in the movies, they all wore white hats, didn't they? And they wore the white uh, uh, clothes and uh, had a white horse. And the bad guys, they didn't wear, you know, ha have the white horse or the white hat or these kinds of things. So we get to turning into the Bible and all, and we see someone that's on a white horse. This has to be a good guy. Only good guys ride white horses, and, uh, but that's not true. We know that Jesus in Revelation chapter 19, that when he returns at his second coming, he will be riding on a white horse. And, uh, and, and so sometimes people look at that and they know that Jesus is coming back one day on a white horse. They see a white horse here and wonder if this isn't Jesus. It can't be Jesus. Because when Jesus returns at his second coming, what follows his second coming is a thousand years of peace, the millennial reign. What follows this man's coming is a literal hell on earth. There's no comparison between the two. The other thing is, is that when Jesus breaks that seal and this rider on this white horse then proceeds to conquer and the, in the world, he proceeds to do that on the earth. But Jesus remains in heaven continuing to break open the seals. They're in two entirely different places. So we're talking about two uh, different uh, people here. I'm convinced that this writer is none other than the beast, and, and, and just so we don't get all confused on terminology, the technical name for the Antichrist in, in the Bible is the beast. But he's become so popularly known as the Antichrist by that term that if you use the word beast, you've got to qualify the term all the time. So we'll talk about him and, and use the popular name of, of the Antichrist. And so this is the unveiling of the Antichrist. When Jesus gave what was known as his Olivet Discourse, it's called the Olivet Discourse because he gave it on the Mount of Olives. And he gave it to the disciples on the night before his crucifixion, uh, Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And he spoke about the signs of the times that would, you know, uh, characterize the last days and, uh, and the tribulation and the end of the age. And they're very, very similar to what is described here in Revelation chapter 6. He warned, first of all, of a coming spiritual deception. Then he warned of wars, then he warned of famines, he warned of pestilences or disease, he warned of earthquakes in different places, upheaval in the realm of nature. Then he warned about a widespread slaughter of the righteous in the world during that period. And that's the exact order that when these seals are opened that we see in Revelation chapter 6. The first horseman represents spiritual deception, and uh, it is spiritual deception at its height because uh, the ultimate spiritual deceiver, apart from the devil himself, will be the Antichrist. And then the seals progressively are uh, the second horseman is war and then famine and death and the death of, of the tribulation saints. Now you notice that the Antichrist, we're told here, that he goes out conquering and to conquer. He is going to conquer the world. Now one of the things that's fascinating is that a crown is given to him, so he's going to have a position of, of uh, being a ruler in the world, so he's going to conquer the world, he's going to rule the world. But notice when he goes forth, uh, he has a bow, but he has no arrows. In other words, he is going to conquer the world and he is going to rule the world and establish his rule in the world peacefully. 
He will, not, he will not dominate or take over this world by means of force or by means of, of war or armies or military or any of those things. He does it just with a bow and, and without shooting a single arrow or having an arrow. One of the things that's fascinating in, in, in his domination of the world is that he will be able to dominate the world and rule the world uh, that that would be handed over to him so easily that co countries would turn their sovereignty over to to this to this man we're told concerning the Jews that in Daniel chapter 7 that he's going to establish a covenant with the Jews a, a covenant for seven years He's going to allow them to rebuild their temple. And you go to Israel today, and they believe that the Christ, that is the Messiah, is not going to be the Son of God. They believe that he will be a great man. And that this great man will be recognized as the promised Messiah because he will allow us to rebuild our temple. It is a widely held view, even by the guides and all. And when Christian groups hear that, you know, they gasp, you know, uh, over all of it. But that is the position that is, is held. So he is going to make a covenant with the Jews that allows them to not only rebuild their temple, but allows them to reestablish the sacrifices at that temple. But we're told in Paul's letters to the church at Thessalonica that at the three and a half year mark of that seven years, he walks straight into the Holy of Holies of the new rebuilt temple. He plops himself down in there and he demands to be worshipped as God. A light will go on at that particular moment uh, for the Jews and they will realize that they have been deceived by this man. And as Jesus says in his Olivet Discourse, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, run for your lives. Because this man, though he gains power peacefully, he holds on to power ruthlessly and with great bloodshed. And he sends forth by the devil a tremendous army to try and destroy the Jews at that particular point. And there is some indication that maybe two-thirds of the Jews are destroyed by the Antichrist at, at this particular point in, in human history. We know that uh, from the prophecies in, in the book of uh, Daniel also, I'm sorry, it was Daniel chapter 9 that talked about the covenant being made with the Jews. In Daniel chapter 7, and then a little bit later here in the book of Revelation, we're going to see that ten kings give their authority or their power uh, to the Antichrist. Uh, ten kings from ten nations that come out of the old Roman Empire. And everybody, of course, is watching the, uh, the current uh, European community in this vein and the different shapes and forms uh, that it is uh, taken. So somehow he will come in. And, uh, the, and I think that the European community will be something short of a, a world-dominating community until the Antichrist takes this position. I think they're going, what they will need and what they will lack for world domination will be some single great unifier to bring them together at a specific time in human history. He will come on the scene and somehow the events of the world, somehow it's advantageous to them to turn their sovereignty over to him and lead them 
to world uh, domination. And uh, any uh, travel in Europe uh, today is to realize that uh, Europe is completely set up uh, for a very, very charismatic human being to come on the scene and lead them to the places that they uh, want to go. And um, so you, in the Antichrist, interestingly enough about this guy is that, uh, you know, he won't be like Wally Cox or whatever the uh, 2006 equivalent of him is, I'm dating myself here. But, uh, um, so, but he's, he is going to be, he is going to be uh, uh, possessed by the devil himself. So people get demon-possessed. This guy is possessed by the devil himself. But he's not going to be some kind of, you know, with a weird voice and a look, and you'll go, man, if I, if I figured the Antichrist looked like, I bet it, it look, he'd look like that. He wouldn't. He's going to have, you know, $2,000 suits or whatever they, they cost or that kind of a deal. I'm buying often enough. So, but he's, I mean, he's going to know how to speak. He's going to know. He's just going to be so charismatic that people are going to be swept away with what it is that um, he has to say. And so they will turn over authority to him. At that point, the power of all of Europe, the wealth of all of Europe, the, uh, the military of all of Europe now will be at his disposal. I mean, that is, those are tremendous resources that he has at that time. Now that tells us that uh, the Muslims are not going to be successful in overtaking Europe. Europe. Europe maintains a very separate identity from the Muslim nations which are involved in an alignment with Gog and Magog and Russia in the invasion of Israel, and it's a very unsuc- unsuccessful uh, 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 invasion. So these identities between the East and the West, nobody's going to overrun. Uh, it appears one another in the end time scenario. They will kind of hold one another off until God's plan for both of them unfolds. It's interesting that not only will he be able to uh, come and uh, deal with the Jews in that kind of a way and then uh, Europe in that, that kind of a way, but he also will have uh, the ability to kind of mesmerize and seduce the religious systems of, of the world uh, during the tribulation period, gain control of the religions of the world. And uh, one of the characteristics will be that he'll have tremendous religious tolerance uh, for three and a half years. He'll use the religious communities of the world to consolidate his power, but once he has the power, he turns on them, whether they are Jews or whether they are Gentiles. Revelation chapter 17 verse 5 and on her forehead speaking about kind of the dominant religious system uh, of the world during the great tribulation uh, on her forehead uh, a name was written mystery Babylon the great the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth in chapter 17 verse 16 later in that chapter we're told in the ten horns which you saw on the beast that is his, uh, you know, confederacy of nations. These will hate the harlot, uh, that religious system, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. They, uh, this, they, uh, the Antichrist will turn on the religious systems of the world at that particular uh, point. And so he comes on the scene giving the appearance of, of being a man of peace. He conquers the world through that peace. But once he has the power, uh, he He's going to defend it uh, ruthlessly. I think it's very, very important for us as Christians 
to recognize that we are already in heaven before the unveiling of the Antichrist. He constitutes the first of the seven seals. All of the seven seals constitute the wrath of the Lamb. We must be removed before uh, the wrath of God is poured out on the world because we are not appointed unto wrath. So I, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that's adding up the values of letters and names and who and, you know, Prince so-and-so and Ambassador so-and-so. He may very well be on the scene. Uh, in the world today and uh, have some kind of preliminary position before he uh, is, is allowed to go forth. And you notice that he doesn't go forth until he's allowed to. He's not in control of anything. However powerful he is, Jesus determines when he goes forth. But we're not appointed to this wrath, so I don't have the slightest idea uh, who he'll be except how the Bible uh, describes him here and all. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I am looking for Jesus Christ, and, and, uh, and I'm not going to see him, uh, at least from the vantage point of, of earth. And, and so all of this is written in order that we might kind of see and understand how the whole world comes under his power, both the religious world and, and the secular and political world. That's very, very fascinating to me because they're going to make this guy, you know, the Messiah. They're going to make this guy the, you know, king of the whole world. And, uh, and he's going to turn on the world in, a, in just a brutal, ruthless... Uh, he can't be compared to anyone in human history, not all of them put together. And we've had plenty of monsters in human history. And, and the unveiling of the Antichrist... The turning the world over to the Antichrist is just perfect, pure justice. And that's why in heaven as these seals are being broken and the judgments that come later, the cry that is cried out to the Lord, the praise that is lifted up to Him is righteous and true are your judgments. Here is the Lord in essence saying to the world, you don't want a Christ you don't want my Christ that is like me, then I will give you a Christ that is like you. But what is in that bargain, you, you can't even begin to dream about. And so it is perfect justice. Then the second seal is broken in verse 3. And when he opened the second seal, Jesus does, I heard the second living creature uh, saying, come and see. And another horse, he sees another horse, this one fiery red uh, went out. And red is the color of blood and it's very appropriate because this uh, horse, this uh, horseman of the, uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse are, are listed here. This horse goes forth now, this rider and all, and he's going to bring world. Uh, war to the world and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and the pe that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. So here this one sitting upon this horse, he takes peace from the earth, he influences people to kill one another, he's given a, a great sword. So the first rider, he comes, he's got a bow but he doesn't have any arrows, this rider has a great sword and he is not hesitant to uh, use it. And so the peaceful methods of the Antichrist to gain power quickly give way uh, to world 
worldwide uh, bloodshed. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Uh, Paul declared his labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 3. So here you have the entire world uh, slipping into war and violence and anarchy and survival of, of the fittest. When you watch television and you watch those warlords and those gangs dominating uh, Somalia and the Sudan and uh, Uganda and you watch the roving bands, the armed people, the rebellion, the insanity of the Gaza Strip, that is the world. That, that's what's coming uh, to a world near you. That is going to be the flavor of the entire world. Man becoming savages. It is uh, might makes right. It is going to be violent. The strongest are going to live. The weakest are going to die. And then even the strongest are going to die. So it's, it's not going to be, though, you know, where, where you've got this kind of a struggle going on in, in these isolated pockets around the world, though I think there's something like uh, 37 wars or armed conflicts being fought in, on the face of planet Earth right now where we sit here. It just isn't reported by the news. Because as Americans, we're not that interested in much that isn't American. And so, but the world has already got a match kind of uh, uh, put, put to it. But imagine, as they see these images and all, imagine the same scene in Houston and in New York City and in Los Angeles and in San Francisco and in New York and, and in Modesto and in Ceres and Salida and even Ripon and Escalon. I mean, everywhere this is going to rioting and, and plunder and murder and violence and, uh, and all. You know, underneath this uh, thin veneer, uh, this, uh, this appearance that human beings give of being civilized, apart from God, we are animals. I believe it about me, and I believe it about you. So watch my back. I be, apart from God, I, I, I believe that when push comes to shove, we, we, we'll be more brutal than the animal kingdom to one another or to anything. We already are. The unborn is an example of that. We do what no, no animals do in, in the animal kingdom in that, in that realm. But apart from God, there's just about not anything that, that we aren't capable of. Jeremiah wrote about the heart of man. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. And sometimes as I'm reading through the Old Testament, and I read about God's warning to the children of Israel to stay obedient to Him. And He warned them over and over again, don't move from me, don't move from me. You, you don't know what you're capable of. Though you look civilized, you look educated, you have wealth, you have your homes, you, you know how to talk politely, all of these kinds of things. But if you move away from me 
And then the consequences of walking away from me, the nations of the world coming against you and in judgment and all, you have no idea what it is that you're, you're capable of, of doing. And God warned them of how low they could stoop if they departed from him. He warned them, if you move away from me, you will eat your own babies to stay alive. And the women, after they give birth to their babies, they will eat their own placenta. They will eat their own afterbirth, and they will eat it quickly so that some other woman doesn't steal it away from them and eat it instead of them. And he's speaking to this nation and and in all of their affluence and all of their education and all of their nice clothes and all of their politeness and all of these things. And to them it seemed impossible that they would do such things. But they did. They ate their babies. They ate their placentas for the nourishment that it would give to them. It's amazing what we would be capable of apart from God. And that's the truth about us. They just couldn't believe that they would do it. But in our fallen state, we are animals. You look at the United States of America. Do you have any slight hope that if there is a shortage of anything in this nation that is vital to survival, that it will not become the ugliest thing that you've ever seen. I don't care how educated we are. I don't care how civilized we think we are, how smart we think that we are. I remember a few years ago, I was, I, I was a Christian, not that old as a Christian, and they had a toilet paper shortage in the United States. A rumored one. It wasn't even real. It was a rumored one. People were pulling up to every place that had toilet paper. They're filling, you know, vehicles up for a, for a lifetime. You know, just things. And I'm looking, and it's gross and everything. But, you know, you look at, I mean, it's, and they're fighting over it. Look at, look at what happens, look, even in the Christmas season, over presents. And a store doesn't have enough Xboxes. And look what happens. And you can't eat an Xbox. Your life doesn't depend on that. Now, I, I, don't have, I don't have any hope that this world wouldn't immediately, with the removal of the church and the influence of the Holy Spirit through the church, become uh, worse than uh, savage. Just this last fall, this last winter, we had just one, just one hurricane. Just, we had several, but just one, one super biggie, Katrina. And it hit Mississippi and it hit Louisiana. And it, it hit New Orleans. And the levees broke. You watched it on television. You saw the clips on, on the Internet or wherever you get the news like that. And the lawlessness and the looting and the bands of armed gangs that took the city over immediately. And you saw how long it took the most prosperous, most powerful nation in the world to bring order back to one city. One city. What happens when the whole nation looks like that one city? And that whole nation is just one nation that looks like that in the entire world. 
For those of you in law enforcement, how much would it take to overwhelm your ability to maintain law and order in the world today, in Modesto today? Not much. Not much. You know why? Because law enforcement is dependent upon the fact that the overwhelming majority of the population that they are serving is just as interested in law and order as they are. Otherwise, they have no hope of maintaining it. And when the world no longer has that kind of interest, there is no amount of military force or police force that can put a lid on all of this. You remove the church and you remove the greatest respecters for law and order in the world. And it's going to become a mess. Isn't it interesting how ungodly man, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, uh, you know, not just the person that you look and, you, and they're kind of viewed as the dregs of society and you say that's an obvious mark of, of ungodliness. But the person that has a three-piece suit and works in public education, the person that is a movie producer, the person that owns TV studios, the person that is making money off of sin and ungodliness for his own life and drawing other people into it, he or, or, or she. And, and they think nothing of rebelling against God's law blaspheming him, blaspheming his law with every single breath, fighting every single day against his attempts to keep a righteous law and order in the world today. And here they are, they're encouraging a heart of rebellion and people against God, against his law, and then they expect that once they have dethroned God in people's hearts and minds, that those same people will be inclined to give any kind of heed to their definitions of law and order. If they don't listen to God, why in the world should they listen to you? Or to anyone that says, all right, we got rid of God and all of that, we didn't like that law and order, so I'm establishing a new law and order and everybody ought to, ought to abide by this. They'll laugh you in the face. Someone lent uh, my wife Karen and I a movie about a month or so ago, and a very amusing movie. And uh, as we turned it on, you know, they, uh, the, they had this uh, preliminary kind of, of, of thing, and it was a warning by the entertainment industry, warning that it was against the law to copy or to steal the movie. So you can't steal a car, can't steal, and they're showing all these things, these uh, uh, ways of, of obvious known theft. And then they were saying, well, here you are. If you copy this movie, it is, is stealing this movie, and it's the same thing. I just laughed inside. I mean, here's the movie industry who encourages rebellion against God, encourages ungodliness, encourages all kinds of sin, encourages theft and, and glamorizes it in every way, but now that their stuff's getting ripped off, now they want to warn us against it. You can't have it both ways. You can't create that world and then expect the world to honor your little lines. You are a crazy person if you think that's going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Thank you very much.
I get applause for calling people crazy people. I, but I love this congregation for that. Now this world is going to reap what it's sown. And man has mocked God. And man is going to reap the consequences of that. And there's no amount of money and no amount of power and no amount of anything that can come against what's being unleashed. It'll be every man for himself. And it will be pure savageness. On an international level, it's interesting to note, I mean, the world that we live in, you talk about war and all of that, and you say, boy, I wonder what they could, what will they do? You know, shoot slingshots or, or what? This world armed to the teeth. Armed to the teeth. You ever read these stories about how in, in, in the Middle East and these different places they have whole arms bazaars? You can go up and buy, uh, you know, M16s. You can buy Uzis. You can buy AK-47s. You can buy uh, armor-piercing uh, weapon, uh, uh, munitions. I mean, this world is armed to the teeth. According, just two or three years ago, is, is estimated, accurately estimated, that the world as a whole spent one trillion dollars on weapons. That's one year. That's what they spent in one, it wasn't like they said, one year, okay, let's stop for 20 years. Every year, this is the amount of new weaponry that's being introduced uh, in, into the, the world. And, and imagine when it is all of that stuff just starts to be un, unleashed. And it's a perfect justice. You don't want the peace that I give? Then I'll remove my influence for peace. And you'll find out very, very quickly what the world is apart from that influence. And it turns into war all over the world. And then notice he opened then verse 5. The, uh, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked and behold a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four, li in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So here it's speaking about famine. And famine almost always follows war in, in, in human history. And, and one of the living creatures, notice again in verse 6, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage for a laboring man, blue-collar work. And three quarts of barley for a denarius. Barley, when things were going good, that was horse food. That was cow fodder. But here it is in this uh, great tribulation, three quarts of barley for a day's wage. Do not harm the oil and the wine. In other words, the necessities of life are going to become very, very scarce. What does a, a laboring man make in the United States of America today on, on, a, on a given day? It varies, doesn't it? But let's say he makes between $100 and $200 a day, blue-collar laboring man. That's what it will cost for the ingredients to make a loaf of bread. And when you think about a loaf of bread in terms of biblically and all, don't, don't be thinking, you know, some French restaurant, you know, where they've got, or bakery, where they've got loaves like this or something. When they talk about loaves in the Bible, the, the, the little five loaves and the two fishes, they're buns. 
They're buns by our American standards. Can I supersize that bun? Yeah. So, but, but that's uh, work a whole day to just have a little bun loaf like that, and it's barely enough to keep you alive, let alone keep a whole family alive. It's interesting that the declaration is made, do no harm to the oil and the wine. What good is oil and wine without bread and without food? So there won't be any concern for the luxuries of life, only the basics in life. Everybody will be doing uh, fighting just to stay alive. Perfect justice. With, with the ungodly, there's no thanksgiving given to God for supplying this world with food. And when the energy that comes from the food that God supplies is only used to do evil and to blaspheme Him, then why should He continue to supply it? And He doesn't. Then notice in the seal number 4, verses 7 and 8, And when He opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked. And behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Now, the, when it talks about a pale horse here, literally in the original language, it, it's speaking of a color. And the color that it's speaking of is a greenish yellow. And, and greenish yellow is the color of death. It's the color of a corpse, if you've ever seen a corpse. And uh, they get, you know, they put all the makeup on us and all that kind of thing, but you get away from that, and the color of death is a yellowish green. And it's appropriate because this horse comes forth in this seal and introduces death on an unprecedented level in, into human uh, history. Death, one who sat on the horse was death, Hades followed him. Power was given over, uh, to them over a fourth of the earth to kill the earth by these different means. Staggering. A fourth of the earth. When we sit in this room here tonight, the current population of the world in the year 2006 right now is almost 6.6 .6 billion people. A quarter of the population of the world is 1.65 billion and based upon the population estimates of the world today imagine the entire population of South America gone the entire population of Central America gone the entire population of Canada gone the entire population of the United States gone the entire population of Europe gone and you have a sense of the scale of death that will be occurring on the earth during this particular seal now when Jesus speaks uh, in his uh, Olivet Discourse and the parallel passage to this one he indicates that a great deal of this death will take place because of pestilence or because of disease and you look at how in a world where war has broken out all over it and, and what follows war? Famine. But what follows famine? Disease. Disease because the body can't fight off the diseases. 
You look at the diseases that are all around the world. You, you, talk about, you can talk about law enforcement, the thin blue line, and they, took and, and they can look at the whole uh, uh, lawlessness of the world and realize how fragile a condition uh, the human condition is for maintaining law and order. But you can take it over into the medical community and it's the same way. You take the scientists that are working in medicine, take the nurses, take the doctors, take these people, and they're dealing with diseases, and they will say, as vulnerable as we are to lawlessness, we are that vulnerable to epidemic from a bunch of different quarters. AIDS is still uh, uh, no cure for it, and there won't be a cure for it because of the kind of virus that it is. You look at the Ebola virus. And, and what it takes the AIDS virus to do in a human being over 10 years, the Ebola will do in 10 hours in a human being. It will liquefy a human being in 10 hours. Now, right now, when it breaks out, we're able to bring tremendous medical resources to isolate it, to put that little fire out. But during this time, there won't be those kind of resources to apply to dangerous situations like that, and we could spend the whole night talking about the diseases. The, uh, you know, one uh, scientist and he wrote a book about 26 emerging killer uh, viruses, talking about the, the viruses that are developing resistance to our, our current antibiotics, and then talking about new viruses. We've just seen recently. How many? Five years ago, how many of you even knew what West Nile was? Now you know what West Nile is. How many of us knew what uh, avian influenza was two years ago? Very few of us did. But now all of us know about the potential of a plague through that. So what, how it happens, I don't know uh, how it, it happens, but there's going to be this. And then if you want to throw uh, all of the crazy people of the world into the mix with all of the biological weapons that man has produced and may be released and all, it, it's, it's not going to be good. He talks about the wild beasts here, death by wild beasts. I mean, does that uh, mean you don't fall asleep on your couch because a little fee-fee might, you know, take, take you out or something like that? But, you know, as you, uh, maybe you should, I don't know. But as you might imagine, you've got the whole world, everybody's looking out for themselves and, and selfishness, you know, to the nth degree going on. The, 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 the dead and the dying lying all over the place, abandoned. People don't have time to, to you know, take care. I've got to look out for myself and all. And the animals are just going to have a field day to feed on. It's, going to be, it's just going to be terrible. Now, perhaps the most sobering part of this seal is, is found in the fact that both death and Hades followed after this rider. In other words, death claims the body, but right after the body dies, Hades or hell scoops up the soul. And in the eyes of heaven, as it relates to this particular seal, the thing that is most horrifying about it is not the fact that so many people die or that so many people die such a gruesome death. It is that when, after they die the death that they die, their troubles are just beginning because they are not being scooped up for heaven, but they are being scooped up for an eternal lake of, of fire. And, and so that, uh, the danger of that, uh, that seal and what is produced by that fourth seal, sin is real. Judgment is real. 
Heaven is real, hell is real, right is real, wrong is real. Obedience to God is real. The fear of God is real. Eternity is real. All of these things are real. They're real in heaven. And they're real in the heart of, of the child of God. And it is vital to be born again by the Holy Spirit to escape this. You look at this judgment, and then you think about the fact that Jesus bore your judgment and my judgment as Christians. And really, the judgment for sin upon the whole world, he bore that on the cross. He bore all of this. I mean, it's a mystery what he bore on that cross for us in order for us to be saved uh, from all of this. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and he had sent the 70 out to minister and to share the gospel and to heal and, and to deliver and, and, and all. And they came back and they said, even the demons are subject to us. And uh, Jesus, such a patient teacher with them, and he, he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. He said, don't rejoice in the fact that the demons are subject to you. He said, rejoice in the fact that your name is written in the book of life. That's what makes a person rich, is that we're going to be in heaven and escape all of this. Then notice in verse 9, the fifth seal. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each one of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And so at the opening of the fifth seal, uh, there is a, John is, is revealed to John here, a great multitude of souls that are underneath the altar in heaven. There's an altar in heaven. Remember the altar and everything that's associated with the temple and with the tabernacle? It was a picture of heaven. And they're here under that altar. And notice that we're told in verse 9 who they are, souls who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held during the tri uh, tribulation. We'll find out a little bit more about them in, in chapter 7. There's going to be a huge number of people without multitude. We'll find A multitude without number will be told in, in chapter 7 that will come to know the Lord during the, the great tribulation period. And, and you, you say, well, how, how in the world would they do that? Why would they do it? You think about people that you've shared with. Talk about, think about sermons like this or on the end times or the judgment of God or the rapture of the church and these things that are preached all over the world every single day by, by godly people. And people hear these things and they say, that's nonsense, that's crazy, you're a crazy man, no way. And then boom, one day everybody's gone. Where's that, where's that Bible? I, what, what's that tape he was trying to give to me and I wouldn't take it? I'd give my whole you know, kingdom to listen to that thing. That, and it's going to dawn on them at that point. What they were saying is true. Here we go now. We're also told that during the Great Tribulation period that there will be an angelic being that will fly through the entirety of the earth preaching the everlasting gospel to the world and warning people not to take the mark of the beast but to turn to God, even though turning to God and turning to Jesus during the Great Tribulation will mean a martyr's death. 
the 144,000, as we see in the next chapter, they are preaching the gospel to the world. The two witnesses, they are testifying to the Lord. So the word of God is going to be getting out during, during the Great Tribulation, and people are going to hear it, and they're going to turn to the Lord during that, that period. And, and so um, that's how they're going to know to do that uh, yeah, during that time. Now, one of the... Uh, things that the Antichrist is going to do during the tribulation period is that he's going to set up an economic system where you can only buy or sell if you take his mark on your right hand or on your forehead. And, uh, and so uh, it's going to be pretty easy for him uh, and, and the world to be able to identify uh, who doesn't have a mark on their right hand and on their forehead, and then to uh, uh, you know label them insurrections or in rebellion to this great thing that the Antichrist is doing? First three and a half years of the of the tribulation period will be fabulous. It, it, he, he will seem like the dream come true to the world. All of these things fall apart apart in the second uh, three and a half years. The problem with taking the mark of the beast is that the Bible teaches and it's going to be spoken to the people of the earth during that great tribulation time is that to take that mark means that they cannot be saved. And so people, when they take that mark, they're going to willingly know that this is... Um, uh, I, I am identifying myself with the Antichrist. Now remember, uh, the devil, he's, a, he's an imitator. He comes as an angel of light. And uh, so, uh, you know, there's a, uh, God is a trinity, a triunity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here in the book of Revelation, the devil puts together a, an unholy triunity of the devil and, and the beast and the false prophet. Uh, God, we're going to see in chapter 7, he, he seals the 144,000. He's already sealed us is the church. And so what does the Antichrist do? What does the devil do? He seals too. And this is the form of his seal is, is the mark of, of, of the beast. And, and so th there'll be that pressure to take that mark. Those that don't take the mark will be martyred uh, for their faith. And, uh, and they, they'll, they'll die to remain faithful, slain for the word of God again, verse 9, and for the testimony which they held. They said, no, I'm not taking that mark. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I wish I had done this earlier, and, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to deny him now. And they die a martyr's death there. Now, I need to add a warning concerning all of this because sometimes people look and say well you know I got plenty of life ahead of me and and uh, you know as soon as I see you know uh, Aunt B get raptured then I'll give my life uh, to the Lord and and make a stand for God in the great tribulation a couple problems with that and uh, one of the problems is, is you're not guaranteed tomorrow uh, much less that you'll live to see the rapture of the church that's why the, what, you, what you and I have in terms of life is what we have right now, this minute. We don't have the next minute guaranteed to us. And that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Because it's all you know that you have. But if I use that right, that's all that I need to have to get right with God. And, and so there's, uh, I don't know that I'm going to have a, another opportunity. Another problem, I think, uh, with, with that is that during the Great Tribulation, we're told that uh, there's going to be a very, very strong deception that's going to go out uh, over the earth. And people are going to be uh, as inclined to believe the lies of the Antichrist as they are inclined to uh, believe, you know, the things uh, of, of the Lord. 
and uh, Paul wrote about it in 2 Thessalonians and, and chapter 2. And for this reason, God will send uh, them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So it, th- things are gonna, people are going to get saved, but a lot of people are going to get deceived. You don't know what category you're going to end up in that thing. You know the truth now. Come to know the Lord tonight and, and do the right thing there. The other thing that I would have um, some uh, problems with, I'm not the bravest person in the world. I'm not a coward, but I, I, know, that, I, know, I know that even... My fellow human beings can take me into a small room somewhere and they can break me. There's not a human being that cannot be broken on the face of the planet. Everybody can be broken. And, and so when I look at this and I think, all right, if I, and I feel like, well, I'll be able to stand for the Lord, you know, during the great tribulation, if I won't do it now, when it's comparatively easier then I, I, don't, I don't want to have a false confidence that I'd be able to make that kind of a stand and, and, and be prone to, even inclined to, during the great tribulation. Come to know the Lord uh, tonight. Now notice he says that they are under the altar. And in the Old Testament, the blood associated with the sin offering and also associated with the consecration of the priests, it was poured out under the base of, of the bronze altar. And because these tribulation saints were martyred for their faith in Christ, rather than dying uh, on the basis of these sealed judgments, the judgment for sin and and the rebellion against God, their blood, their lives, and and the life is in the blood, is considered holy unto the Lord and, and, and their blood and their sacrifice represents a sacrifice to the Lord in contrast to all of the other death upon, upon the earth during the great tribulation. And so that's why they find themselves in that place. Now when they uh, come into heaven, these tribulation saints, those that come to know the Lord during the tribulation, they get a little impatient. And, uh, and they look at things and they say, they know they've been murdered. They know they've been martyred. They know what a hell on earth, earth has become. And how savage people have become toward those that know the Lord and love the Lord. And they, and they cry out for God to avenge their blood, avenge their lives. And, uh, and they're told in verse 11 to rest a little bit longer. And uh, like them, there are a lot more that we're going to come to faith and be martyred on the earth. And when the final number of the martyrs is completed on the earth, believers just like they believed in the Lord, then God would, would mete out his, his final judgment uh, upon uh, the wicked and probably referring to the, the second coming. And then Jesus, the second coming. And then I looked, he said, in verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll. When a scroll is rolled up, you ever roll up a scroll? I mean, that's what the sky... It's one, one thing to do that, you know, in a, a construction site. It's another thing when the whole heavens are doing it before your eyes. 
and the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. He talks about a great earthquake in, in verse 12. I was watching the History Channel a few weeks ago and they had a, um, they had a documentary on uh, the, the end times of the revelation of the four horses of the apocalypse which is, is talking about here in, in uh, Revelation chapter 6 so I thought I'd watch it and uh, they're not always very fair or accurate with uh, Christian uh, things but on this one very very interesting and what they were looking at was they were looking at all of these things that God has said is going to come upon the earth and then kind of the plausibility of those things in the light of the condition of the world today and it it was almost like Christians made this thing <laughs> I'd have gotten down on my knees and gotten saved at the end of it how'd you get saved history channel <laughs> But I, I mean, they, it, everything just lays out. They, they talk to scientists and what about the diseases and what about, and then what about the weaponry and the arming of the world and what about, and, what, and all of them are coming and saying, man, it, 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 the whole world could blow up from any one of these angles. But they had these couple scientists on and they were talking about this uh, island that's part of the Canary Islands in the... Uh, in Spain's, uh, you know, owns the Canary Islands, and the, and the island's called La Palma. And uh, there's this gigantic piece they showed uh, of, of the island. There's this huge piece that has broken away from the rest of the island, uh, a, a huge portion of, of the island uh, because of an earlier volcanic eruption or an earthquake. And, and they said, the day is coming is that we don't know whether it will be tomorrow or a thousand years from now. But if that volcano blows again and breaks off that part of the island or an earthquake does that, they said it will produce a tsunami wave, a tidal wave that will cross the Atlantic Ocean at the speed of a jet airliner. And when it hits the east coast of the United States of America, it will go inland. I want to get this uh, accurate on, I forget how many miles it, it was. It will go inland, travel inland 20 miles before it stops and begins to recede. Now we watched the tsunami that broke loose. Uh, there in uh, Aceh and in Indonesia here recently saw the waves that were released and swamped complete islands but on some parts of, of things just went a few hundred yards up into the city they're talking about the potential I don't know if it'll happen they don't know if it'll happen but but the earthquakes are coming and I mean the destruction that will just kind of uh, you know unfold related to that talk about overwhelming you know rescue things on top of all of the rest of this stuff and then he talks about these cosmic occurrences and disturbances the sun becomes uh, black as sackcloth of hair and and so you'll be out there in the middle of of the day and you'll look up and the skies will be black and you know what that sounds like? Volcanic eruptions. There's so much material has been, because of the cataclysmic events on the earth, so much uh, material has been introduced into the atmosphere that the sun will, will look as black as a sackcloth uh, of, of hair. So talking about fires burning all over the world. 
uh, volcanic eruptions throwing these huge amounts of, of matter into the atmosphere. The moon becomes like blood for the same reasons because of what's been introduced into the atmosphere. The stars of heaven, he says, verse 13, fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Late figs on a fig tree are the figs that have become so ripe that if a wind blows, it knocks the figs off. And, uh, and talking about the, the planets, talking about all of this stuff that's held in order. God keeps it in order, keeps everything. He names all of these planets. He keeps the whole thing running, and he's going to let it go into kind of a wobble in, in this, this period. And this, these planets are just going to stop, you know, stars of heaven starting to fall to the earth and, and, uh, and, and coming into the atmosphere and, and all of that. The sky, he said, verse 14, is receded as a scroll when it's rolled up. I remember watching uh, cartoons as a kid and, you know, sometimes, you know, how they pull down uh, the roller kind of shade and you'd pull it down and if you didn't get it just right or they're kind of worn out but you're trying to get another year out of them and you put it like that and you let go and it goes... You know, and that's, again, one thing with a shade. It's another thing when it's the skies before your, your very eyes. You say, what does that mean about the, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, and all of that? What is that saying? I don't know. I don't know. I just don't want to be here when it happens. And I'm not going to be here when it happens. Every mountain and every island is going to be moved out of its place, verse 14. So the whole worldwide upheaval, the landscape of the whole earth is going to change during the Great Tribulation. Notice the reaction of the people on the earth at this time during the, the, uh, this opening of these first six seals. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, that is the bravest of men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Every single kind of person in the world that remains in the world at this time in their rebellion against God is going to bear the judgment of that rebellion. God is not a respecter of persons in any way, and He won't be a respecter of persons as it relates to His judgment. And there's no amount of money, that's what's being said here, no amount of money that can protect a person from God's judgment. No amount of power, no titles, no connections that you have with other people, no kung fu, and no military training, no weapons, you know, nothing. Every single man and woman will become just a trembling mass of humanity, coward, you know, in the face of this judgment. <laughs> there won't be any uh, comedians making fun of God on late-night television and the National Organization of Women and Planned Parenthood and the ACLU and the People for the American Way and the separation of church and state folks and the ungodly 
employed in public education who are robbing of one generation after another of coming into contact with God and all of the other people who feel so free to slander and to scorn God because of their pride will one day beg the mountains to put them out of their misery so that they do not have to face the wrath of the Lamb. And man's pride in the face of God is astonishing today. How he shakes his fist at God, his arrogance, and all of that is going to change. Don't align yourself with the pride of man. It is one thing to bluster. It is one thing to talk tough when you are surrounded by your peers in an adoring audience. It is another thing when this judgment hits the earth and we are reduced to what all of us are apart from God and what all of us would be in the face of His wrath and that is small, pathetic, little human beings. That's what we are. That's what we are. I don't care how smart we are, how much money we have, how much power we have, how fast we can run the 40. Compared to God, that's what we are. Everyone thinks they're so big and tough and talk out loud and all that stuff until one day God extends the scroll to the sun and the sun begins to break the seals and God's judgment begins to be poured out and there's no protection from the wrath of the Lamb. And the most expensive real estate in the world becomes caves. Some place to hide from this cave. What is cave? It's to live like an animal. And it's just perfect justice. Because to live apart from God is to live like an animal. And they cry out for these rocks and mountains to hide them from the Lord and from the wrath of the Lamb. And it's so sad. A lamb is a picture of peace in the Bible and in life. A lamb doesn't look for a fight. A lamb has to be forced into a fight, into conflict. And what does it take to make a lamb angry? It takes a lot to make a lamb angry. And do you know what? It takes even a lot more to make God this angry in righteous anger that He must pour His judgment out upon the earth. And for man to drive Him into the corner to where He's not willing that any should perish but that all would come to repentance but that man forces Him that He would be unjust and unrighteous if He did not put an end to this rebellion and God is forced then into that judgment for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand the amazing thing is they recognize it as the judgment of God and they will not repent even in the face of it they want to die 
They want to be taken out of their misery, but they will not turn to God and repent. The hardness of a human heart. The hardness of a human heart. It's an honor to repent. It's an honor to repent. To have a change of mind as a human being about the direction that I'm going in life. And then that change of mind translating into a change of direction away from my own sinful ways and then toward the Lord and toward His righteous ways. It is an honor to be able to do that. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you're not saved. You've never trusted in Jesus for that. Don't count on another day to do that. Death comes quickly on planet Earth these days. Just read the newspaper. Today's the day of salvation. Make things right with the Lord tonight. Know that you'll be spared all of this. Repent and turn to Him. And let Him do the thing that He desires to do even more than you desire Him to do it. And that is to save your soul and to forgive you and to write your name in His book of life and to bring you into His family. That's what He wants to do. He doesn't want to do this to anyone. And that's why He continues to call people into His family by His Spirit. Listen to those promptings. There'll be men and women up in front immediately after the service. They'll have a badge on that says, Pierce, you can identify them easily, and they'd love to pray with you to begin a personal relationship with God tonight. And if you need prayer for anything tonight, these same men and women would love to pray with you and pray for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not right with God and you know that you're not right with God. Get right with God. What are you doing? What's out there? Come on. It's just vomit. It's biblical. It's biblical. A dog returning to its vomit. There was nothing out there when, when we left it to come to know the Lord. It's worse now. Come to the Lord. Come back. Rededicate your life to Him. Let's walk full on for the Lord in these last days. The reason we're still here in this room is that there are more people to be saved so that they don't enter into this judgment. And, and so take that opportunity to do that tonight. And for the rest of us, let's live fully this life that God has called us to. Let's stand together and we'll pray.